The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Um, there's two words I'm going to be using a lot today. Uh, one is the word deliberate, and the other is perspective. So you'll hear it throughout, uh, and we'll talk about it as we go through. It's been an interesting week in the Miller household. Uh, my daughter, Abby, is a senior at Shawnee High School in Medford, New Jersey. Oh. Yeah, I think we had one, like, that was like a one Shawnee Medford kind of person. Thank you. Thank you for that. Okay. Um, but at the end of their senior year, there's all kinds of activities, <clears throat> including what they call um, the, the game Assassin. Some of you guys know the game Assassin, right? Okay. So um, there's, I've, there's a lot of students involved in this every week. Uh, you have somebody that you need to kill, um, and uh, you are trying to avoid being killed by somebody else. And if you survive the week and kill your person, you get to move on. It's a you know, very morally uplifting game, uh, and there's a, there's a large cash prize also. So, um, so they, they, she had me at large cash prize, so I was going to help her with this game no matter what. So, Because um, I'm nothing if not devious. So uh, the other day... Um, we, we had a suspicion as to who was her assassin, and the other day, uh, we wake up at 6.30 in the morning, and I hear the sound of somebody uh, setting the car alarm on their car outside of our house. Now, um, we live on a main road, uh, and we live back in the woods from that main road, so uh, people you know, don't come to our house. In fact, if anybody comes trick-or-treating at our house, we call DIFUS because they're walking down a main road. Okay, so, um, so we hear, so by the way, if, if you're going to be a hitman, don't set the alarm on your car, okay, as you're trying to get into place to take out somebody, right? So that alerted us to the fact that these people might be here. I went downstairs, I looked out the window, and here are these two people crouched behind our trash cans. Okay. Now, from their perspective, they couldn't be seen, much like when my children were very young, they thought they were hiding from me, right? But from my perspective, they were very easily seen, okay? So, I went out with our dog to take him out to do his morning business, and uh, I walked up to them and said, hey, dudes, what's up? And they're like, oh, we're not trespassing, you know, it's part of the game. I'm like, I get it, I get it. Now, my dog, who uh, is very nice and dumb, here are these people trespassing on our property, and he just wants to be their friend. <clears throat> okay, so we got that going for us. Now, so I go back in the house, and as I was going back in, I saw that they moved from the trash cans to the dumpster. We were getting some work done at the house. There's a dumpster, so they're hiding behind the dumpster. So my wife puts on all of my daughter's clothes, okay, dresses as my daughter, puts on her backpack, puts the hoodie up, takes her little water pistol gun and her lunchbox or lunch bag, and she goes walking out to the car like this, and the person jumps out from behind the dumpster, shoots my wife in the back with water, at which point the assassin is eliminated because they shot the wrong target. I, I, I hope you're not cheering that my wife got shot in the back. Okay, so... I mean, I was, but anyway, no. Um, so I hope that's not the case. So uh, 
Then afterwards, they take pictures. So they took a picture with my wife dressed as my daughter, my daughter, and the would-be not-so-gifted assassin. Okay, and, um, and then they post it on Instagram. There's this whole Instagram page. So, well, here's where the perspective part comes in. So it, the word starts going around Shawnee High School about, you know, this, uh, what we did, and we had the decoy, and the decoy got shot, and, well, most of the people now at Shawnee, I start getting texts from my daughter, that one, the people that know my daughter are like, oh, your mom's the best, which, which she is. And, um, and then from other people, but the word starts going around like, Abby, I didn't know you had a sister. Then it goes even further. I didn't know you had a younger sister. Okay, so now perspective. Abby starts going like, whoa, are you guys saying I'm old? And I'm going, yeah. I have a wife who keeps getting younger. Our marriage is the marriage of Dorian Gray. I keep getting older and she keeps getting younger, which is pretty awesome. Okay, so my daughter was really excited until they said that she looked old and her mom looks younger than her. Okay, on the other hand, I was pretty, pretty, pretty thrilled. Now, several years ago, I get this cryptic text from a friend of mine who says, how would you like to go on a missions trip to a country that ends in Q? I'm, I'm, I'm not Captain Geography, but... There's only one country I could think of that ended in Q. Anybody? Iraq. Okay, so I ended up going to Iraq on this missions trip. And it was a missions trip designed to teach on um, spiritual and emotional healing to Arab Christians in the country of Iraq. And so they asked me to be the, the, the main speaker for the, for the week. Uh, and so I said, sure, I'll go. Um, it's why I have this friend of mine, and, and he's very nurturing and caring, and he was leading the trip, and he was wonderful. He cared for all of us on the trip. His wife, not so much. Um, so before he left, we're waiting, we're getting on the van to leave, and he says to her, I'm nervous. Like, what if something happens to me and I don't come home? And she says, we'll be fine. <laughs> that was her answer. Okay, so I just say that because I like to embarrass him. Anyway, so... Now, we're getting on the plane to Iraq, and again, perspective, it's a, like, 13-hour flight. Business class, there's Wi-Fi on the flight. I'm, like, thrilled, because, like, I am never not able to be communicated with. I can, I can watch movies, I can read books, I can do whatever I want. Little did I know that the flight for my daughter, Abby, who was staying home, it was not so exciting. So I'm sitting on the plane, and I'm flying, and I'm reading a book, and I'm watching movies. And then the crying pictures of my daughter, that she keeps, she's taking crying selfies and sending them to me as I'm flying to Iraq, okay? So I'm like, oh, will somebody shut off the Wi-Fi? All right? So, but there were some really amazing things in that trip. And one of them was helping Arab Christians come to the realization, not... Not that Jesus is God, they knew that, but that if Jesus is God, what's the implication of that? Well, if Jesus is God, then he can do anything. And if Jesus then can do anything, then everything he does matters, right? If Jesus can do anything, then everything he does matters. And so 
Um, I want to talk a little bit today about the deliberate nature of Jesus and how he encounters people. And I hope as you go back and read the Gospels, you'll look at, if you haven't already, you'll look at this from this perspective. So, for example, when Jesus healed the leper, he touched the leper, right? You all know the story of Jesus healing the leper. He touched the leper. So the question is, why did he touch him? He's God, right? He could have told him to walk a mile in the westerly direction. He could have twitched his nose like bewitched. He could have just thought it into existence and the man would have been healed, right? But he, but he touched him. Well, why? Well, the obvious implication is if you're a leper, when was the last time this man was touched? Right? And also trying to communicate to other people that it would be safe to touch him. But when was the last time he was touched? Imagine going without being touched. Well, there was a movie, it was a, based on a play called Wit. And it starred Emma Thompson in the, in the movie they made of it. And what it's about, it's about this woman who was a professor at a university who was suffering with late-stage ovarian cancer. And she had never married, didn't have any children, didn't have any close friends. And the whole story is told with her being in the hospital. And it was really an indictment of the medical system because what you see in the story is that the only touch she ever gets is medical touch. They're taking blood from her, okay, they're doing those types of things, but nobody is touching her. And it is actually painful to watch. And then later in the, in the play, or later, later in the movie, a mentor of hers finds out that she has taken ill and comes to visit her in the hospital. And it's the only scene in the whole play. And her friend takes her bald head in her arms and strokes her head. And the whole audience weeps because you have been living the experience of this person not being touched even just for two hours. And it's almost unbearable. So when you think about the emotional needs, Jesus realized that the leper didn't just have physical needs, he had emotional needs that needed to be healed as well. I'm going to read you a passage um, from Luke chapter 8. And this is a side note for all of you parents who are here. So you might be wondering why I have like the flowery Bible. That's just how I roll. Um, <laughs> no, actually, so I did this for my, this is, I did not get this idea. You're free to take it if you want. Uh, I did this for my son. I, I'm doing this for my daughter. Um, so for a year, their senior year, I get a study Bible. And then I use that as my Bible and just take notes and write notes to my daughter and write my thoughts. And then this, she'll get... She, I guarantee you she's not watching this. Um, I will give this to her at graduation. She knows because my, my son got one as well. So I'll give this to her at graduation. Because uh, I want her to have my mind and my heart and the thoughts I have about life. And so... Um, you know, if you were so inclined, you could do that for your child who's graduating. You only got a few weeks, though, so you might have to, like, <laughs> you might have to take some time off. Um, but in, in Luke chapter 8, Jesus, again, is, is crowded by a lot of people. And as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who, who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? 
When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him, and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So when we're deliberate, it's not just our actions that matter. Often the order of our actions matter. So in this case, this woman who, and by the way, if you're a, anybody's a fan of Sam Cooke, or has ever heard the name Sam Cooke, there's a wonderful song called Touch the Hem of His Garment. You'll find it on Spotify. And it's really about this passage. But she had already been healed, right? She, she touched his garment and had already been healed. So why did Jesus call attention to her? What was the second healing that she needed? Well, if he did not call attention to her, what would have happened? She would have left there for the rest of her life thinking that she stole something. That the only reason she was healed is because she snuck up on Jesus and touched the hem of his garment. And he did not want her to walk away thinking that she had stolen something. He wanted to acknowledge, you are worthy. Your faith has made you well. He wanted to care for that emotional need because that emotional need wouldn't have left. That emotional need would have stayed for the rest of her life. And the story that she would tell, if she would ever even tell anybody that story, the story she would have told would have been very different. Finally, I want to talk a little bit more in depth about the woman at the well. Many of you know this this passage, and I'll, I'll read some of it to you. And Jesus was in Samaria, and he was waiting at Jacob's well. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? And did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Details matter. Why does she make that statement? And we're going to find out in a minute why she made that statement. She's not lazy. It's not like, whoa, that will save me some time. I won't have to go and draw water every day. She's drawing water at a time of day when no one else is there. So Jesus then asks her, go call your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, you were right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Do you ever make a statement that's accurate but not entirely truthful? Professor, I was working on my paper all night. My, my hard drive crashed. Can I have an extension? 
And most of your professors here are gracious and would probably say yes. What didn't you tell them? When you said, I was working on my paper all night, you, let, you didn't say, I started my paper last night. And as a result of starting my paper last night, I had to work on Why wouldn't you tell your professor that? Shame. Shame is why you wouldn't tell your professor that. You're afraid that if you told them the whole truth, that the grace would dry up, the mercy would dry up if you told them the whole truth. So you lie. On some level, you're being accurate, but you're not being entirely truthful, and that's what she's doing. He says, bring me your husband, and she says, I have no husband. And what Jesus does is not to shame her. I want you to hear this. It is to remove shame. What he's saying is, I know. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with is not your husband. I just want to be clear about what we're talking about here. That's my goal as a counselor, and I don't think I'll get there until heaven. But my goal is to be able to communicate truth to people without shame. Let's have an honest conversation about what's going on in your life without the shame. Because so many of us live a life thinking, if they only knew this about me, they would what? Buy me dinner? No. If they knew this about me, they would reject me. And Jesus is saying to her, no. And you know, and I'm not going to go through the rest of the passage, but you know that the shame was, like there was no physical healing there for her. He was there to remove her shame. And you know that because what happens at the end of the passage? At the end of the passage, she goes to the townspeople that she's been hiding from and says, come, I want to show you a man who told me everything I ever did. And not, like, let's get the pitchforks and kill him. No, like, this is amazing. That's what the removal of shame does. When you realize that relationship isn't dependent on all of those other things, whether you're a great person or not, or whether you have perfect thoughts. You know, when I was in Iraq, somebody who, a friend of mine who was a missionary to Jordan said, um, it's a shame culture. So one thing you can't talk about when you're there in terms of emotional healing is, is shame because it's a shame culture. Well, I'm pretty anti-authority and it's hard for me to talk about Jesus without talking about removal of shame. So I'm like, yeah, well, forget that. I'm going to talk about shame anyway. Okay? And it's, it, it, when, you, when you think about being a shame culture, let me give you one example. In Iraq, there are no drug problems. You can buy any drug you want, prescription otherwise, without any prescription. And there are no drug problems in Iraq. Why? Because if you got addicted to drugs, you would bring so much shame to your family that people won't do it. That is the extent of the shame culture they're living in. And when I told them this story, everyone in the room, men and women, were weeping. Because they needed to hear that, and they recognized, but guys, I want you to recognize, they don't need to hear it more than you. You need to hear it just as much as they do. You need the removal of shame just as much as they did. They just recognized it more. Do you recognize it? Because you've been living with shame in our culture for so long that you don't even recognize it sometimes. You just get, Bruce Springsteen, a big fan, in one of his songs, he says, you can get used to anything, sooner or later it just becomes your life. And for many of you, you've been carrying shame around that has just become your life. So what I, wanna, what I want you to take away from this well, the first thing I want you to take away from what I'm saying today is that my wife is an amazing wife and mother who keeps getting younger. <laughs> if you remember nothing else, remember that. 
Remember that I married well, okay? Okay, that's one thing. Okay. That's all I have for you. No. Um, the second is that Jesus cares deeply about all of you. He cares deeply about all of us, including our emotional needs. Including our emotional needs. And he desires to heal those emotional wounds and to take away your shame. And he does that often through other people who have the same Holy Spirit that you have in them as you have in you. So, because a lot of times we think, okay, Jesus, heal me from my shame, but I want to do it by myself in my closet and never tell anybody else. And he might say, no, no, you, you need to talk to somebody. You need to experience that removal of shame. I was raised Catholic. Okay, I was raised Catholic. And, um, you know, the process of confession in the Catholic Church, I, I would go to confession, but my church did it very differently. I would, maybe it's tied into why I do what I do now for a living, but we would go into a room with a, with a, with a priest. Around, just around a table, we would sit and have a conversation. Confessing my sins to a person that I could look in the eye and have him not run screaming from the room was a life-changing experience that we don't often get. My encouragement would be to take advantage of that and share your life with people. Finally, the one thing I, want, I really want you to take away from is look for opportunities to love people deliberately like Jesus did. Look for opportunities to love people deliberately like Jesus did. Now, I'm not saying that you should follow them around creepily or paw through their garbage and say, you know, I've noticed that you need some more protein in your life. I was going through your garbage and found mostly carbs. And No, 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 you'll get arrested. Don't do that, okay? You'll get arrested. I don't want anybody to get arrested. When I talk to, when I talk to, to husbands and wives, I tell them, be a student of your spouse. Be a student of the people that are in your life. Look to understand their needs, and then look to love them deliberately. As Jesus said, that we're going to be known by our love. As I have loved you, so you should love one another. Be deliberate in how you love. There's problems in our culture in terms of that. In 2 Corinthians, it talks about how because of the work of Jesus that we no longer view people from a worldly point of view. Right? We view them as eternal beings with an eternal destiny. That it's not just the deli guy who's cutting your ham or the person who's, who's packing your groceries. They're eternal beings who have an eternal destiny. And we have a struggle in this culture in loving people deliberately. Why? Because we are in a culture that is very individualistic and selfish. This is my belief. We've moved in this country from rugged individualism to entitled individualism. So much so that we only think about things that are offensive to us. And by the way, we find, you tend to find what you look for. If you look for offense, you will find it. Why? People are offensive. All of you are offensive. So am I. Okay? If you look for offense, you will find it. You have to change what you look for. Now, I'm pretty cynical and world-weary. World-weary on my best days, cynical on my worst. And so, in order to change my perspective and to learn how to love people more deliberately, I started keeping seashells. So, I put a seashell in a jar every time that God answers a prayer in my life God answers a prayer in somebody else's life, or I see God at work. I have jars and jars and jars of seashells in my office, in my house, all over the place. 
And my hope is that when I die, and I told this to the people in Iraq, that there won't be flowers at my funeral, there'll just be jars of seashells that people can take home with them. You, I have a friend of mine who does it, he uses golf tees. You can do whatever you want, but you're kidding yourself, and I'll use an ocean example. When you go to the beach and you stand in the ocean, the current takes you somewhere. And if you don't pay attention to where the current is taking you and walk back, right? You have this thing at the beach where you do this thing and you walk back and then the current takes you and then you keep your eye on your blanket and where all your stuff is. If you don't pay attention to the current, it's going to take you where it's going to take you. And that's our society. And the current of our society is not to a place of deliberately loving people. It's a current of selfishness and individualism. So my encouragement for you would be to think about and pray about who are the people in my life, God, that you want me to love deliberately? Who are the people that you put in my presence? And instead of being on my phone, and instead of thinking about only myself and how things affect me, I'm going to think about and try to pay attention and truly be present with the people in my life. I don't think you'll regret it. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for these students. Father, I just lift them all up and I just think about the impact that they could have on the world, Lord. If we could fight the current, keep our eyes on you, and seek to love people the way that you have loved them. So, Father, I would just pray in the, these hours and days coming up that you would put on our hearts the people that you would want us to really think about loving deliberately and help us to see them in a different light. Help us to see them as eternal beings who have eternal destinies, Lord, and to not ignore that need. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, folks.